Hello, and welcome to the Capital Employed Podcast. Joining me in conversation for this episode was Pratush Rastogi from Fairer Wealth Advisors based in Singapore. In this episode, Pratush gives an overview of his investment service and philosophy. He talks about two fast-growing stocks he's invested in, which he feels have great long-term potential. I really enjoyed listening to him, and I think you will too. Please enjoy my conversation with Pratush. Hi Pratush, thanks for coming on to the show. Thanks for having me. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit more about Fairer Wealth Advisors? What is it that you uh, do? Absolutely. So Fairer Wealth Advisors, we are investment advisors based out of Singapore. We uh, typically work with high net worth individuals, uh, family offices, and uh, the clients kind of come to us because in this part of the world, uh, they're mostly served by private banks or by the wealth uh, departments of financial institutions. And typically, sometimes that can lead to a less than stellar experience because, uh, uh, you know, banks will want to see high turn on customer portfolios in order to make money. So clients really come to me looking for uh, aligned advice um, and unfettered advice. Um, and typically, clients kind of break into two forms. Uh, one are clients who have the propensity for investing, but not the time. Typically younger customers, uh, kids uh, just coming into money, uh, but, but are quite busy with their work. And then older customers who are uh, retired um, and have the time, but probably don't have the propensity for investing. And they're probably a little bit more high touch. And typically we see the client's whole portfolio, which is quite unique. You know, usually advisors will only see a sliver of the client's portfolio. Um, and yeah, we're, we're fee only. We only really charge the customer um, a monthly fee and uh, we don't take any money sort of from, from any of the funds we invest in or any, uh, any kind of asset that we invest in. Uh, and we, we actually frankly make most of our money through our own personal investing. I've noticed on your website, you've done some really good research into um, Afterpay, Spotify, Adyen. Are these the type of companies you in, and industries you invest in? Yeah, so typically, I mean, I think it's maybe easier to start with what we don't invest in. Um, so we, I, I, I tend to stay away from things that are very technical, pharma, biotech, genomics, things that are really quite out of my circle of competence. And, and what we're really trying to focus on is predominantly in the B2B, B2C space and B2B2C space. And we're looking for companies that are growing market share in markets that are growing. Uh, we tend to stay away from B2B SaaS, partly because one of the things we look for is a real love for the, um, the, pro- the product from the customer side. And sometimes we find in B2B that's not uh, uh, necessarily required for success. So I'll give you a small example. Back in my, in my previous life, uh, I was a salesperson, led sales teams. And, and you know, in some of the companies I worked for, we use Salesforce. And, and frankly, I, I, I hated Salesforce. I, I actually thought there were much better CRM systems out there. And I found Salesforce really hard to use. And for that reason, I never really invested in the company. And that's obviously been completely wrong because the last couple of years, the stock's done super well. Um, so, so I find sometimes it's, it's easier for me to, to, to really do well on B2C and B2B2C companies. And what process do you go through to... Um find these companies? Do you use a screener or is it just more going out into the world and looking at what's going on? Um, so it's more, so I think, I think there's two ways I find most of our ideas. And, and, and we're talking single stock here because we, we also invest in, we also uh, recommend uh, clients invest in funds and things like that. But just on a single stock side, it's more, um, there's two ways we tend to find ideas. One is through other investors. Uh, you know, there's a lot of investors we admire and we follow 
um, and we, we chat to, and there's always a, a healthy idea exchange. Um, so, so that's one way. And the other one is, is a lived experience. Um, you know, for example, Spotify is a great example of that. Uh, I'm, I am a power Spotify user. Uh, I think I think in a normal distribution curve of their usage, I would be at the, the high end. Uh, for me, it was quite uh, a great product. And, and, and considering my use, I started looking into the company more and more. Uh, so I think those are really typically the two ways. So one is, as I said, through investors, and second is kind of just a lived experience. Um, I, I, I spoke to another investor recently, and I think he put it nicely. Sometimes finding stocks can be quite a serendipitous experience. Uh, you know, you're just kind of going through life and something kind of clicks. Um, so, so I think that's a great way of, um, uh, of, of finding companies. And it's, it's very much with the Peter Lynch model of, of buying what you know and, and buying what you, you, you observe. Are you quite concentrated in your portfolio? Typically, yes. I mean, I wouldn't. Uh, and if you, if you look at some of the funds that we invest in, I find they're far more concentrated than general. But generally, I recommend clients have between 15 to 20 total positions. So not 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 very concentrated, but you will have, you know, if you have 15 to 20 uh, positions, naturally, you're going to have four to five percent positions in each one. So you can you can call that concentrated or, or not. Uh, I don't know, different people have different definitions. But but certainly it's not over diversified to the point where a single position is not really having much impact. Um, but it's certainly not uh, where, you know, one position will be, you know, 40, 50 percent of the portfolio. In your portfolio, can you talk us through one or two companies that you, you have great confidence in and you think going forward into the future are going to bring some really good returns for you? What, what's the thesis for investing in those companies? So what I thought could be quite fun to do, and if that's okay with you, is, um, you know, so the, the three companies that we posted publicly that we've invested in, as you mentioned earlier, is Afterpay, Spotify, and Audien. And what we could do is really quickly go through them and talk about really what I think the market's missing about those three companies, because they're quite well known, I would say, by this point. So I think people would be familiar with the bull case and, 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 and the bear case. And uh, but, but if it's okay with you, maybe we can go through what I think the market's kind of missing about each, each, each of them. Does that sound okay? Yes. Yeah, please yeah. do. Yeah. So, uh, and, and, and people want, you know, if they want to kind of read the whole thesis, it's, it's on the website, uh, fairwealth.com. They can go check out uh, the thesis um, we, we typically uh, post this publicly a couple months after we've recommended them to our clients. Um, but yeah, so, so let's let's start with Afterpay. So just in case people aren't familiar, really quickly, Afterpay is a buy now, pay later company. Um, say you're shopping for a shirt or a dress or something like that, and you can't pay for the whole thing upfront. Afterpay allows you to pay in four, um, and they charge zero interest. And if you're late on your payments, you just pay a nominal late payment fee, and they won't charge you anything above that. So there's no debt spiral like you would have in the credit card. Um, and the way that Afterpay makes money is that they will charge the merchant anywhere from four to six percent uh, of the sale value. For in return, the merchant will see significant, and we're talking 30, 40, 50 percent gross in basket sizes, uh, increase in average order value, and more repeat customers. So, you know, the, the, the bull case for Afterpay and BNPL is actually starting to get established. I think when we invested maybe, you know, earlier in 2020. It was not so much the case, but now it's coming more and more and more and more people talking about it that BNPL is here to stay. Now, the interesting question and the, and the pushback I always get is, well, aren't they kind of, aren't, aren't all the BNPL companies very similar? So you have Firm, you have Klarna, you have Afterpay, um, you, know, you have a number of large global players as well as a number of smaller regional players. And people are just trying to kind of lump the whole category together. And this is where kind of things get interesting. So now if we just take a big picture. Bank of America came up with a research to show that 
that the BNPL market by 2025 will be somewhere in the range of 500 billion to a trillion dollars. Now, if you add up kind of, you know, Klarna, Affirm, Afterpay's GMV, you're kind of looking at maybe maybe you kind of get up to 60, 70 billion dollars. So even at the lower end of Bank of America's transactions, you're getting you're going to see a seven to eight times growth just from here. But now the interesting part, right? I think I think I think where people kind of wonder, you know, well, you know, aren't a lot of the companies the same? Is is what Afterpay I think does super well. That now that is with their shop directory. So Afterpay through its app basically allows people to explore every single company. Uh, or, or every merchant that's, that's, that they have on the platform. And it becomes a kind of discovery for them. So during lockdowns, uh, I was actually talking to my friends in Australia and the US, and they were saying that their wives are actually using Afterpay as a form of entertainment, right? Because they were, they were going through the app and trying to discover new things to buy in new shops. And, if you, and that's shown in the data, because when we were doing the research, Afterpay actually sends 14 million, at the time, sent 14 million leads to merchants every month. That number is much probably higher. I think they had an internal target of 30 million, uh, and they might have hit that number uh, now or, or are going to hit that number, right? So, so if you think about that, why is that so powerful for a merchant, right? So if, if we just walk through the unit economics of a merchant, now let's say um, the average merchant, right, you go to the, you, uh, you know, they get a customer, the customer spends $10, right? And, and again, I'm being rough with these numbers. So, you know, say cost of goods sold is 50%, so $5. Say they spent $2 on marketing, and say, you know, there's $1 in operating, uh, you know, in, in delivery and all that kind of stuff. So, so you have an operating profit of $2. Now, enter a generic BNPL player, right, who basically acquires the customer at the end of the checkout, right? So you'll see AOV kind of increase um, 30%. So, you know, from $10, it'll go to $13. Uh, cost of goods sold still 50%. You know, you're still spending $2 for sales and marketing, and you're spending a dollar. So uh, on, on, on delivery order that, so that has an operating expense, operating profit, sorry, of $3.50. So from no buy now, pay later to, buy now, pay, to a generic buy now, pay later, you're, you're seeing an increase in operating profits of about uh, 75%. Now if, you, now, if you look at Afterpay, right, who is basically sending you the lead for free, that $2 you're spending on sales and marketing actually goes to zero, right? So immediately your operating profit as a merchant will go up to $5.50. Versus $3.50 for just a generic BNPL player and versus $2 without BNPL involved at all. So you can see by having that really active you know, shop directory and people using the app as a point of discovery makes Afterpay super powerful. And this is one of the reasons why when PayPal entered the game and the stock kind of fell, uh, I think it correct, I can't remember exactly how it's correct, but it had a, a reasonable kind of correction, we weren't worried because nobody really uses PayPal as a point of discovery. Right, you're, nobody's you know, sitting there with their PayPal app open trying to discover new things. Right, it just doesn't happen. So, so when you in the BNPL game, if you if you win the customer way before the checkout, is actually a really smart strategy. If you're only trying to win them at the checkout, then it's actually a really poor strategy. So, I think that's what the market gets a little bit wrong about Afterpay and why they're so different from other competitors. Yeah, that's great. I can see on the chart as well. It's some um, share prices risen dramatically over this past um eight months yeah yeah so so i think we're we're looking at at 130 130 something about today um and um and yeah i think i think we're you know there's still tons of growth ahead of it um so do you want to do one more like that or do you want to kind of move on to other things because uh obviously i i love the companies we've invested in so i can talk about them for a long time yeah can we move yeah. on to adding because this company in particular has been on my radar for uh, quite a while now yeah like, i haven't i haven't bought yet 
I'm so, still sort so, of in that research but, phase, but yeah. yeah, please tell us about Adyen. Yeah, let's see if we can convince you on this on this uh, podcast to, to, yeah. to, <laughs> yeah, kind of, to, to invest. But so Adyen, I think. Um, so again, I think people actually may, maybe maybe not as familiar, but 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 Adyen is essentially a payment processor. Um, so if you've ever used you know Netflix or Spotify, uh, which are big clients of of Adyen, you're, you're essentially using Adyen. So, so when you feed in your credit card information, that, that's Adyen processing that whole. Uh, payment flow. And and the unique thing about Adyen versus, you know, a lot of other payment processors is they have what's called an acquiring license from Visa and MasterCard across the world. So they um, essentially can do end-to-end, the, the whole end-to-end payments uh, process, whereas with typical payment providers, payment processors will only do part of it and you as a merchant will have to kind of sort out the rest of it, uh, whereas Audien is basically one contract, one one single tech stack, and you're off, you're off and running. Um, they typically, you know, participate in the media, in the enterprise space. So uh, a, a, a very, I guess you could say competitor, but they don't really compete in the SMB space of Stripe, uh, which is also a phenomenal company run by two 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 very um, uh, uh, smart entrepreneurs. Um, but but Audien, uh is is more on the enterprise space. Now I think one thing that turns people actually I've never had a conversation with anybody who thinks Audien is a bad company. I think I think everybody agrees that it's a great product. It's a good company. Um, and 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 one thing that turns people off is is just the raw valuation, right? I think I think people think it's it's very expensive, and they kind of you know see the stock price gone up and up, and you know, it becomes harder and harder to buy. And I fell for that too, you know, when when Adyen first IPO'd, uh, and I'd known about the product uh, because I used to work for Grab, which is um, uh, you know in this part of the world is, is a uh, big uh, red healing company. And they uh, would use Audien for a lot of the payment processing across the countries. And my friends, the payments team used to tell me it was a, it was a fantastic company and product. Um, but, but when they went up here, I think it was something, I think, I think eventually it got to about 400 euro stock price. Even then, you know, I, I thought it was kind of expensive. And it was only really when I started looking at the TAM that it started to really convince me why there was still lots of growth left. So, so, so if you think about it, right, I, I was just curious. I'm like, okay, how big is really this payment space, right? If we just look at, you know, B2C sites, so if you look at e-commerce, you look at OTT, you look at OTA, you look at streaming companies, you know, how how much, how, how big is this market? And I tried to kind of add it up and remove China because China is its own animal. Um, but I very, very quickly got to a 4.5 to $5 trillion tank, right? And this is just kind of on the B2C side, not, not even looking at B2B, which is a $16 trillion tank on its own, right? So if, if you just come back to the BTC, kind of $4.5 to $5 trillion, and this is not even, this is just at this time, not even looking at any growth going forward, right? And then and then I started to, to kind of think through, okay, so how big are the kind of newer players? So Ajin, Stripe, PayPal, um, you know, there's, there's a small company called Checkout.com that's doing really well. You know, if you kind of add that up, you're kind of getting to volumes of maybe a trillion, trillion point five from them. So it's like, okay, well then who is really processing the other, you know, $4 trillion? And, and and that answer kind of it was an, uh, that question sorry was answered when I got to reading a transcript about one of uh, you know an executive from one of the legacy players uh, WorldPay, and he basically said that you know a company like Audien doesn't even, doesn't even yet crop, crack the top ten of payment processors because most of it is still done by legacy companies like the, the likes of WorldPay and Ingenico. So the the entire TAM doesn't even have to grow for Audien to grow because they will continue to gain market share from these legacy players. And, I'll, and I'm very confident in saying that is because their tech stack seems to be so much more superior than legacy players because they sold their old company, so the founders of Audience sold their old company, Bibit, to WorldPay. 
and they know what the tech is like, and they know why Audion is, is so much better. So, so even if you think about the company in and these opportunities in the in the in the broad landscape of TAM, or, or if, in, in, sorry, if, in the framework of TAM, then three hundred billion dollars in volume processed, it really it really doesn't seem that big. And so I think I think if you can think about this this company in, in, in words of where the TAM is, where they are, and how much more market share they can gain, then I think the the expensive factor will probably lessen in your mind. Yeah, I, I think that's what excites me about it. Yeah. Uh, during your um, write-up, which is fantastic, by the way. Thank you. You've put some, um, for your TAM, you haven't even included B2P payments, which is no. nearly 17 trillion. Yeah. And that is yeah. a, a huge uh, market to go into. Yeah. So, so yeah, so I think if you look at it in that space, I think Arian is, uh, has, has lots of, lots of room to grow. Um, and I think, you know, going forward, I think, you're, you're, I mean, there's no reason why in a couple of years, Arian shouldn't be a $100 billion company. Yeah, that's fantastic. Sure. I've noticed on your website you say you um you are an avid reader. What mm. book are you currently reading? So actually, this year I've been challenging myself to read more science and philosophy. Um, and uh, I know it sounds a bit boring, but I've even gone as basic as so. I've started reading it's the on the origin of species, which is Charles Darwin's first book. Uh, I, I got to be honest, it's it's not uh, it, it's tough. Uh, I've been trying to challenge myself in my reading. Um, and, and I, and I often find myself, you know, referring to the cliff notes to make sure I've understood the chapter I just read. Uh, but, 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 um, uh, but, but it's not something I would necessarily recommend. I think really quickly, you know, one book that I read last year that I thought kind of changed my perspective on things is a book called Die With Zero by Bill Perkins. Um, and that, that was a really interesting book. You know, as investors, we get obsessed with compounding. And one of the reasons we don't like spending money now is because, uh, you know, it'll compound over a long period of time and it'll be worth a lot more later. But the reality is, is, you know, as you get older, you can enjoy your money far less. You know, say if you wait till you're 60, 70, 80 to, to spend your money, there's just only so much you can do. Uh, so, you know, kind of, and, and it's the same with charity, right? It, it makes more sense to spend money now when your charity needs your money now than, than, than try to give it away later in life. So I think if people, uh, you know, check that book out, I think, I think it's, a, it's a pretty interesting take on, on and how to spend your money and, and how to spend it when you can enjoy it the most. So where, where can listeners find out more about you? Yeah, so they can go to my website. That's probably the best place. Uh, that's fairwealth.com. That's F-A-R-R-E-R wealth, uh, W-E-A-L-T-H.com. Uh, and they can also subscribe to our blog, which uh, we write once every two weeks um, uh, via Substack. And uh, uh, through that, they should have all the information uh, they would need on us. Okay, that's great. Um, thank you so much for coming on to the show. Yeah. And uh, hopefully we can get you um, back on again in the future. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. This was fun. And I hope yeah. your, your listeners enjoy it. I think they will. Thank you.